of my eyes saw a pretty little thing approaching me. She said, I never seen a man who looks so all alone. Could you use a little company? If you pay the right price, your evening will be nice and you can go and send me on my way. I said, You're such a sweet young thing, why you do this to yourself? She looked at me and this is what she said. Oh, there ain't no rest for the wicked. Money don't grow on trees. I got bills to pay, I got mouths to feed. There ain't nothing in this world for free. I know I can't slow down, I can't hold back, though you know I wish I could. I know there ain't no rest for the wicked until we close our eyes for good. Hello and welcome to Game Critics After Dark. Today is very special for multiple reasons. First and foremost, Tim Spath is here, our former podcast host who, for reasons unknown to me, still drops in from time to time. Tim, always a pleasure. Hi, Richard. How are you? Thanks for having me on. I'm, I'm doing wonderful. And the second reason that today is special tonight, today, tonight, I don't know when you're listening to this, but the, the second reason that right now is special is that we are going to be devoting a full six hours of discussion to Borderlands and or Borderlands 2. Uh, we couldn't ever get this on the main show simply because the mere mention of Borderlands drives Brad Galloway into a, a frenzy. Like he, he he loses the ability to form sentences. He just crawls into a corner and clutches his copy of Monster Hunter and starts just mumbling. It's it, it's it's not it's not a pretty sight. So <laughs> so tonight or today or whenever I have brought you. Uh, Tim Spath, as I said before, who is not only Tim Spath, but he is also a postdoctoral fellow on Borderlands and Wasteland Studies at the University of Chicago. Uh, is that is that correct, Tim? Is that your is that your title? I hate to disappoint you, Richard. I've never played Borderlands or Borderlands Two, so this is going to be interesting. I I, I hope I can respond to your well, questions, and you're comfortable with lying. Uh. Well, we're just going to have to talk about Team Fortress for the six hours then. I mean, there's just no... Oh, oh God, Skype is failing. It's failing. <laughs> oh, disconnect. You know, it's completely off topic. The one thing that I have wanted to ask you and never had the chance is, what is it like going from podcast host to podcast guest? Like, is it a relief? Like, is it awkward? Because the transition from guest to host for me was very unnerving at, at first. There is part of me that hates not being in control. And as something of a control freak, it's very difficult for me to not, uh, not jump in and just start setting the tone and introducing things and people and topics. But where it becomes spectacular is at the end of the show, when we sign off, I can go off and run into the woods and do my thing and you have to edit and post and that's the piece that i don't miss whatsoever so now now i'm picturing you just running off into the woods with with no clothes on and just just fighting a bear or or, or something i point out that you added the with no clothes on part i i did you know and i'm, I'm not i'm not gonna lie you know i'm honest about that but uh uh anyway so tim in all seriousness, you are a self-described Borderlands aficionado. I, I don't know if you've ever said that about yourself, but I like to think you have it because it's something that I think you would say. So describe to me your Borderlands experience. What does this game mean to you? Like what, what draws you to, to Borderlands? Well, that's a big question, and it's a lot of things. 
but to set the stage for folks, I have about 80 hours logged in Borderlands 1 and about 60-ish hours in Borderlands 2. Does that shock and amaze you? Uh, not really, because you told me this like a week ago. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, here's the thing. I uh, only stopped playing the original Borderlands because I ran out of things to do. I was still jazzed for it. I didn't get bored at all. Uh, I played through that game twice. I played all of the DLC. I finished uh, the three DLC packs that didn't suck. And I have all the achievements that I could get without grinding for these random low percentage loot drops. I hit the level cap twice, once when it was 50, once when they raised it to 69. I ran out of things to do, Richard, and yet I still wanted more. So when they announced Borderlands 2, I went crazy. I was thrilled. I was excited. I couldn't believe it. And I have finished Borderlands 2. I have finished both of the DLC packs, and I'm eagerly awaiting uh, the next two. Okay, so what is... What is it that makes this game tick for you? Like, what draws you to Borderlands? Richard, it is a a stew. Can I call it a stew? A sweet, sweet stew. Uh, you can call... It's your answer. You can use whatever food analogy you, you, you want to use. Let's Let's call it a stew of so many things that I love about video games. I love loot. I love first-person shooters well let me i I love non-competitive first person shooters Uh, i love questing i love experience points i love violence i love immaturity i love over-the-top games i love games to be nuts and off the wall i love feeling ridiculously powerful these are all things that i love and borderlands brings all of that to the table. That's Borderlands, man. And that's and that's what I love about it. Um, I will not say that Borderlands is a perfect game. It is a game with many, many problems. The original in particular. The sequel as well, but less pronounced. And we can get into that if you like. But those, are, those things that I listed are uh, the sort of driving factors uh, for me and Borderlands. Okay. So, I, Tim, I think you're, you're – I, I largely agree with what you just said. For me, Borderlands is the ultimate looting experience. Um, it scratches the get more powerful stuff itch while not forcing me through the extra trials of something like World of Warcraft or an MMO. It just lets me get straight to the killing things to get more powerful things so I can kill more powerful things to get even more powerful things. Uh, it's you know Cl- Cliff Blazinski or Cliffy B as the kids like to call him of of Gears of War fame actually put it well when he said that Borderlands is Diablo for a generation raised on first person shooters and I think that's a very accurate statement even though I wasn't raised on first person shooters I think that is that 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 is correct and I I want to uh, dive into that a little bit later but my next question centers around. Um, solo play versus multiplayer play. Uh, One of the criticisms that is most often leveled at Borderlands, including by myself in the past, at least for the first game, is that they simply don't work 
without other people to play with. They do not work as a single-player experience. Uh, now, ev- everyone knows about my Team Fortress addiction and my affinity for multiplayer, so this does not bother me in the slightest. But oddly enough, I've played almost all of my time with Borderlands 2 by myself, and I'm having a great time with it. I put about 20 hours into the game so far. I only put about eight or nine into the first one, and it was, and I didn't... Only, Put any extra time into the first game because I could not get my friends consistently to play together. So Borderlands 2 really does feel much more solo friendly to me. Have you have you found that as well, Tim? Is the sequel really more friendly to a single player experience? Well, I, I, I my experience is that for Borderlands 1, I played 99% of it by myself. And Borderlands 2, on my main character, I played 100% by myself. Well, no, wait, 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 wait. I know for a fact that's not true. Well, hold on. Let me finish the sentence, Richard. Because I said on my main, I played 100% by myself. But I started another character, and you and I rolled a little co-op action at some point. Uh, And I want to talk about that in just a bit. But I think... think Borderlands 2 is more interesting not because of the single-player multiplayer thing. I don't think that has anything to do with it. I think Borderlands 2 is designed specifically, and I mean the opening hours specifically, because the opening hours of Borderlands 1 were terrible. And Mm -hmm. if you go back and listen to the original podcast that we did about Borderlands, and I happen to know it's episode 24... Brad and I ripped Borderlands apart because we had only played the first 10 hours. And in those 10 hours, you have a very, very uh, boring, pedestrian, generic first-person experience. You have a game world that is largely empty and lifeless and uh, very brown. Uh, You are really doing nothing more than shooting dogs that are walking straight at you. Uh, and you just kind of pull the stick back, walk backwards and point your generic first person shooter, shooter rifle at them. Uh, you have ge- generic sort of wasteland mercenaries that you're shooting and you have a terribly generic uh, quest structure in those first 10 hours where there is actually a quest where you have to walk to a vending machine and buy a grenade. And that is Borderlands 1 idea of an exciting uh, opening sequence. So Borderlands 2 kind of course corrects that. It almost overcorrects that because you are put right into the action. The enemies in that first section, the bully mongs, are they're like pinballs they're bouncing around and i found it actually after coming from borderlands one where there are enemies that you just stand still to shoot the fact that i had to get somewhat agile and do a lot of aiming and jumping around to hit those bully mongs it was it was kind of jarring uh certainly a refreshing change of pace but you can tell that gearbox made a concerted effort to address that so i think it's just a better design in borderlands 2 Uh, Much more energy, much more excitement, gets you into the action, gets you into a boss fight much, much faster than Borderlands 1. Whether you're playing it alone or not, I don't think think it matters, and I think that's what you're experiencing there. Okay, so... So I like I said, I only put I think 8 or 9 hours into, into the first game, and so you're saying that I missed all of the good stuff. 
or most of it? Yeah, I mean, what what happens at roughly that the ten to twelve hour mark, and and that's where Brad stopped playing, so that's all he knows about Borderlands. But essentially, you you hit a very populated uh, city, much like Sanctuary in Borderlands Two, mm-hmm. where there are lots of NPCs, there's lots of quest hubs, and it's at that point that uh, it it stops being so linear. There's lots of different areas that you can go quest in. And the visuals on those areas are much more varied. You finally get into some snow areas, and there's some sewers, and there's some swamps, and it's uh, it's not just that drab brown wasteland. But also at that point, your abilities start to kick in. And in Borderlands 1, I played Lilith, who is the Siren. And... If for those who don't know, the siren's ability is essentially to turn invisible. It's called phase walking. You turn invisible, and eventually, as you get deep enough into the skill tree, when you come out of phase walk, you explode. And the enemies around you catch on fire. They combust. And so that so essentially, you turn invisible, walk into a middle of a group, explode, and then mop up the charred remains, uh, the the burning flesh of your enemies with your submachine gun. And it is an incredible rush. You just feel so incredibly powerful. And at least with Lilith, the further you go into the game, the more powerful that explosion becomes to the point where really, by the end of the game, you're kind of invincible. And I love that because you start out so weak, so slow, so boring, and by the end, you're just a walking bomb, and it's just ah, oh, just incredible. So, yeah, if you stop playing Borderlands at ten to twelve hours, you don't get the cool abilities, you don't get to the cool areas. Uh, it's one of those rare games that the deeper you get, the better it gets, and uh, that continued into the DLC as well. So, um, yeah, those those who quit early are uh, really missed out. Mm. Yeah, one of the things that I have noticed in Borderlands 2 is I started feeling powerful almost immediately. Um, I, I, I'm playing the assassin character, and I'm playing I'm leveling up through the sniper tree for, for the most part. And his special ability is, like, he has the ability to go invisible as well, and it's mainly used for uh, escaping situations, because you really can't take a ton of damage in most situations so you can use that to escape and then once you decloak your first i don't know if it's all of your attacks or your first melee attack that does extra damage but you get a damage boost with with something and uh even from the very beginning uh, headshotting a mercenary and taking him out in one hit and then just watching them all try to rush at you and just the the challenge of just trying to like pop all of the like headshot all of them and take all of them down before they can even reach you and pulling that off is quite exhilarating. I I, I enjoyed it very much. And I'm sorry, go ahead. So let, let me ask this question because it, it has to do with you specifically choosing the sniper. Mm-hmm. And I noticed this when we played together. Okay. Um, the sniper. I'm used to playing Borderlands, like I said, rushing into the middle. I played as the Gunzerker in Borderlands 2. That was my main, and it's the same strategy. He's kind of a tank. You run into the middle, you pop your Gunzerk, you're dual wielding, and you just go nuts. Mm -hmm. You're playing as the sniper, Mm -hmm. and I, I saw you kind of hanging back. 
and you're you're way back and you're you're playing very slowly, very deliberately, very logically. And I'm like, this is this is the perfect Richard Nyack character class because it suits your personality. But when I think of Borderlands, I think of frenzy and chaos, not slow and deliberate. And and to be honest, the sniper on paper seems really, really boring to me. So what is it? Is it that that the the class matches your personality? What what is it that's so appealing about it? Uh, what drew you to that class in particular? Um, well, as far as what drew me to that class, um, it was really just the ability to snipe. Like I was choosing in between uh, him and the Mechromancer, who also starts with a sniper rifle, and it, it really does suit my my play style because I'm. I'm about 20 hours in, but I don't think I'm... I mean, the average playtime I hear for the main quest is about 30 to 35. I don't think I'm going to hit that. I think it's going to take me at least uh, 40 once I I actually get around to finishing it. Because I play slowly. I play very deliberately. I like to plan... I, I have a plan of attack. I pick my targets. I case the joint before I start attacking. You know, I, I, you know, as soon as I just love getting up on top of a, you know, a rock or a hill somewhere, scoping out my targets, watching them walk around. I'm like, okay, there's a mercenary there. There's probably another one walking around behind him. Okay. Yep. There he is. I'm well, maybe I'll take out this other guy first. And just that selection process of death is just fascinating to me. And it actually, I'm, I'm going to segue into halo a little bit here. So fair, fair, fair warning, but uh, that's fair back in. Back in college, you know, back when I was actually, you know, living with other other young men my my age, uh, we we would play local Halo Three co op a lot on our on our Xboxes because we, you know, we were cool. We had those, and it's just what young college men did. And we're we were playing with I was playing with three other friends, and myself and Kevin. Uh, we would always have the long range weapons. We would hang back. We would, you know, pick off targets slowly. We would not waste a lot of ammo. We wouldn't die very much. So we had, we had very good kill to death ratios. Uh, my other two friends, Nathan and Dustin were exactly the opposite. They played like the Gunzerker. They just charged in with reckless abandon, killed a bunch of people, died a lot. And then, you know, Kevin and I would just hang back and pick them off. And that's just, that's, that is how I play games. That is, I play as a long-range, deliberate attacker. Like in Team Fortress, it's exactly the same way. I play as the engineer. I play with a plan of attack. I play with having to have foreknowledge of where the enemy is going to go. It's, I don't know, it's just something that, that suits me. And I think it's a strength to really say that the game is uh, accommodating enough to to where we can have such wildly disparate play styles and still have fun with it. Absolutely. And, and I mean, it does adhere to kind of MMO tank healer DPS mechanics, right? I mean, mm-hmm. I, I had the tank, you've got sort of your, your range DPS, uh, the uh, uh, gauge who's the mechromancer has uh, her little robot friend, which is kind of melee DPS. I know the siren in this game has some healing abilities. Uh, so, I mean, it's, it's definitely, it's definitely intended for group play, but, uh, totally playable alone. My thing with the sniper and with that particular play style is 
the areas in Borderlands are so enormous. There is so much walking from point A to point B and so many combat encounters that just from a, a practical questing standpoint, if I want to get something done in Borderlands over the course of like a 60-minute play session, I don't have time to stand back and be methodical. I need to get in smash up some enemies, then get to the next group, get to the next group, and get to the quest objective. I mean, did you find yourself in some of... I know some of the areas early on are just enormous and complex, and it's easy to get lost. I mean, did you find yourself... Did you find yourself getting tired of certain areas, just wanting that quest to be over? Um, The first time through a given area, no. Um, Primarily because I found that with sprinting, it did not really take me a ton of time to get from point A to point B. Um, I mean, I don't know if that's anyone else's experience, but it didn't seem like a huge problem for me. Um, what I will say that um, I do not like is the side quests that take you back through another dungeon that you've already done or another area that you've already done. Because for one, it it does get a little repetitive and is... It, it just it just feels very cheap to send me back through the exact same area twice. And secondly, I mean, at least in the ones that I've already done, the enemies have not re- leveled with me and the loot has not leveled with me. So it's completely useless. I'm not getting any significant experience points for doing it. So it's just it seems like a complete waste of time. And I'm, I'm at the point where I pretty much just stopped doing those missions that I know are sending me back to a, a previous area. Yeah, it's, it's, it's bad design. It was a problem in the first game and I was surprised to see that it was still the case in the second game. And there's nothing more frustrating than clearing out an area and you had like two or three quests and you got them all cleaned up and you leave the area, you go back to sanctuary and they give you one more quest in that same area. And you're right. The, the, the areas don't scale until new game plus. So if you were on new game plus and you went back, they would be at your level and you'd be getting experience points. But on that first playthrough, it, it maintains its original leveling. What I ended up doing is going back to those areas when I was like 10 levels overpowered and I just went through just to experience uh, the story and the dialogue and the writing. And uh, that's just how I chose to deal with it. But there's there's really two points in Borderlands 2 where you think, okay, I've cleared out everything. All I have left is the story. And then all of a sudden it dumps like eight side quests on you. And it's it's all that forward momentum you were making just kind of grinds to a halt. And it's just, it's bad pacing. It, uh, I, didn't, I didn't care for that aspect of it. Yeah, I, I I definitely agree with you there. And um, secondly, getting back to your your point about um, potentially being you know frustrated by having to take so much time getting from point A to point B, and the 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 time consuming nature of the sniper playstyle. All I have to say is you can't rush you can't rush artistry, Tim. You cannot <laughs> rush people because it is the best thing in the game for me is when I get up on a rock and I can pop every single bandit in a bandit camp without them even getting close to me and I take no damage from from doing so so I get I I get so much enjoyment out of that I don't I don't care if I if it takes so much time you know I didn't play with sniper rifles until 
right at the very end of my first playthrough, and I picked up a slag sniper rifle that had three shots per uh, per trigger pull, mm-hmm. and it was so incredibly powerful that I, I I got a little taste of that sniping lifestyle. I dug it quite a bit, so I, I can I can relate. I, I dig your vibe there. Well, even even the base sniper rifle that you start the game with when you pick that class is still pretty powerful. I found myself using it for, I want to say at least until like level six or seven, so quite quite a while. Yeah, it's it's interesting because the there there are certain weapons that you will hang on to for seven or eight levels. Mm-hmm. They're just you know, whatever random generation statistical engine is running behind the scenes will occasionally give you something at your level that's way more powerful than any other weapon. Mm -hmm. And so, like, I might have the same submachine gun for seven levels, but be switching out my rocket launcher, you know, every other quest. It's, uh, you know, that's the fun of a loot game, though, is, is, you know, when you get that sweet, sweet drop that becomes sort of your mainstay. Yeah, I found that um, I have been switching my sniper rifle on a fairly regular basis like i seem to get you know fairly steady progression as far as that goes like i haven't found one that's so ridiculously powerful i can't use anything but that yet however my shotgun i found an explosive damage shotgun um i want to say at about level 11 and i'm level 15 or 16 now and i didn't I, I I was still using that for a while simply because that extra explosive damage was so useful on those shielded enemies when they got close to me. Like it stunned them, it took their shield away so I could just stun them and then like run around behind them, uh behind their shield, get my sniper rifle up, out and just pop them in the head. So that was just it was such an effective combo. I could not have anything but that explosive shotgun. Sure. Sure, and you rely on that, and then and then you get to the point where you find something that's just slightly better, and you're like, I'm not ready to let this gun go. I don't want to give it up. So you keep it in your inventory, and you're like, if this if this new weapon doesn't work out, I'm going to go back to the old weapon. I'm just going to keep it with me for a while because it makes <laughs> me feel good. And then there's and then then you get to the point where you know inventory space is a huge problem in this game. There's only twenty maximum of twenty seven inventory slots. It's nowhere near enough. Particularly when you get to the larger bosses that drop, you know, a hundred pieces of loot and you want to take 30 things away. Um, So you start putting those older weapons in your bank. And it's like, well, I'll come back to this someday. I'll give it to my other character that I'm never going to play. But. (laughs) It's like it's like putting your old toys from when you were a kid in your attic, and it's like, oh, I'll, g- I'll give these to my to my children someday. I'll keep them up there, and then like you know the the attic just you know it gets so dirty, and it's like the, the the case it was in didn't close all the way, and you open it back up, and there's mold and crap all over it, and you're just like, yeah, I'll throw this out finally. Exactly. 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 So, um, one other thing I wanted to talk about a little bit was Diablo. Uh, specifically the Diablo series. Um, as we all know, Diablo is the godfather of the loot-whoring dungeon crawler. There are countless clones out there and games that take influence from Diablo in, in some way. And what's fascinating to me about Borderlands more than anything else is that both games, in the abstract sense, are basically just Diablo, you know, you know brick for brick. Uh, it's not innovative, really, 
in any way. At least I don't think so. It doesn't really evolve the formula significantly. It just straight up is Diablo with guns and from a first person perspective. Do you do, do you agree with that, Tim? I think I think Borderlands One. You could probably. I would say Borderlands 1 more than Borderlands 2. I think Borderlands 2 is special for some other reasons that that we'll get into. But, but yeah, I mean, it, it, it's hard to argue that. In fact, I believe Cliff Blazinski, or as I like to call him, Cliffy B, once said... <laughs> yeah, I think we covered that. Yeah, I mean, it's... You, you, can't, it, you can't steal a joke from, from 20 <laughs> minutes ago. It doesn't work. There's a statute of limitations on that. Oh, it's a callback. The longer the callback, the better especially for those who are paying attention. Yeah, I mean, it's... It, it's. I, I once called Borderlands 1, I think, on that original podcast, I called it a framework for questing. It was essentially an MMO model of questing. And, uh, you know, whether you're going to call it Diablo... You know, Diablo 2, there's so many things from Diablo 2 that were carried into World of Warcraft, and then so many things from World of Warcraft that were carried into Diablo 3. All these genres are just kind of, you know mixed and match but i think i think you're right it's basically it's diablo as a first person shooter you really can't say it any more succinctly than that although i might call it uh i might use hellgate london instead as my as my touchstone not diablo because of how important hellgate london was i i I, i've never played it so i don't get what reference or joke you were trying to make there Hellgate London, one of the biggest disasters in the history of video gaming. The guy, one of the main guys who created Diablo, created a first-person Diablo called Hellgate London, which was just a complete bomb. It put his company under. And uh, so folks out there who know Hellgate London, they're laughing heartily. They've probably ruptured something um, over just the intense comedy that I just dropped there. Okay, I, I would like to state for the record that we take absolutely no responsibility for bodily injury or or, or anything of the sort here on the here, here on the show. We we have lawyers on call that we can we can get a hold of. Um, so Tim, you've alluded to this uh, several times over the course of the show uh, that Borderlands Two is more special than than the first one. So have at it you know compare the two games why is borderlands 2 more special how is the how is it evolved from borderlands 1 well it's the writing i i mean i i i go out on a limb and i'll call borderlands 2 one of the best scripts i've ever enjoyed in a video game i i think the writing the writing here is it's sharp it's clever it's uh it's absolutely hilarious and i think uh I think this game should be there should be some acknowledgement that this is probably the best scripted game uh, of the generation. Really? And and, and so I'm going to uh, let me come at it from a couple of angles. The first is okay. First, first, okay. I'll, you can you can do that, but I've got a, I've got one one follow up question. You go ahead. When you say best best scripted game, do you mean as in just the dialogue, like you found that very snappy and entertaining, or from an actual story perspective. Like you think that as a story arc, this is one of the best games of the generation. I think it's dialogue and characterization. I think the overall story is fine. Uh, But I think in terms of the dialogue and the character work, it's some of the best I've seen in a very long time. I think one of the things that was immediately apparent to me and, and, and Borderlands is not, known for 
having anything remotely great about its story. It had a few sort of random story elements, but very little that uh, very little that tied together. You had you had the four player characters who had really no personality whatsoever outside of their one liners. Um, you had a few NPCs that had personality, but you didn't really have full voice acting. Most of the dialogue was just in text. Uh, obviously, you had the audio logs, which were good, but not great. You had the guardian angel who was never really explained, and she just was there to kind of shepherd you from quest hub to quest hub, get to the end of the game. It's not really understood what she is. Uh, you have the vault, which isn't really explained. You open the vault. You don't really find out what's in there at the end of Borderlands. Uh, and it's just kind of a mess. And I could see where somebody could come into Borderlands 2 and throw all that stuff out and just say, forget it. We tried. Didn't work out. We're going to start from scratch with all new characters, all new storyline, and just sort of maintain the, the mechanics, but sort of craft a new story, a new world. But what they did, which I think is extraordinary, is they took all those little bits and pieces from Borderlands and they crafted a really coherent uh, narrative. The four original characters from Borderlands become the four main NPCs, the four main quest givers in Borderlands 2. Uh, And they all have personalities that somehow, and this is a real accomplishment, that somehow match up to the one-liners that they had in the original game. So Brick is kind of the dumb guy who likes punching things with his fists, and that matches what he did in Borderlands 1. Um, Lilith, my character, is kind of, in, kind of arrogant, kind of uh, uh, strong-headed and really sure of herself in, in sort of what she said in Borderlands 1, and that's totally what her character is in Borderlands 2. Um Roland's kind of a generic sort of everyman. Uh, I think Mordecai's drunk, kind of an alcoholic. Uh, So I I thought it was just incredibly clever how they didn't just throw all that stuff out, but they really used it. And in doing so, made the world of Pandora, made the world of Borderlands uh, a real place. It made the first game matter. And I think that's so much harder to do than just starting from scratch. Um, The Guardian Angel is fully explained, and they explain exactly what she was doing in Borderlands 1, and she plays a key role in the villain's motivations in Borderlands 2. Handsome Jack and the Guardian Angel are very much tied together. Um, She has, you know, you basically find out what happens to her. You'll you'll meet her. I don't know if you got to that point in the game, but... I I have not. So uh, that, that is all worked out and and it, it it gives the impression that all these sort of random elements from the first borderlands were actually carefully planned out uh, borderlands 2 is it's it's almost it, it's oddly like reverent towards the first game it's it's um there's a thing that happens and i, I don't want to spoil it but it's kind of a it, it's a very sort of emotional moment if you care deeply about uh, the, those characters from the first game, uh, and that's a huge accomplishment. I think um, there is a there is a point uh, towards the end of Borderlands Two 
where you will revisit an area from Borderlands 1. And I, I don't want to say what that is, but if there's an iconic area in Borderlands 1, this is it. Uh, and you can see how it has evolved, what Handsome Jack has done to this sort of iconic area. And there are actually, uh, there's actually an achievement for going back and visiting a very iconic spot from the original uh, Borderlands. There's a chest there now that you can open, and then it, it pops an achievement. And it's just very nostalgic. And as somebody who spent 80 hours in the original Borderlands, I really appreciated that those things were made to be important. It sort of put value on the time I spent in that game. And, and I really liked that those things were important to the guys writing um, Borderlands 2. So uh, so there's that aspect of it, this sort of reverence for the original Borderlands. But then also just the character work in this game is fantastic. Have you met uh, Tiny Tina? I have. She, she, is, she is quite entertaining and i have found that most of the npcs i've met um even the even the so the minor ones have been you know e even the even considering the fact that they really like after you meet them and the, you kind of get that that guy richie movie introduction that they get they kind of stand <laughs> around and do nothing yeah then i'd be i i find talking to them funny at least i mean yeah. it's something that um it's the kind of thing it's one of the things that I really lament about Bioshock. And I, I mean, I really like Bioshock, but it also started the trend of having NPCs and the bad guy and whoever just yell at you over the radio the entire game. And I just, th th that's something that over time has started to grate on me, but it's it, at least in this game, th this stuff is entertaining. Yeah. It's, and it's like, Going back to Tiny Tina, have you, I don't know if you've done the entire quest line with her where you kind of get the resolution of her character and why the way she is. Yeah, the one where you abduct that, um, oh, what's that guy, Stickface or Slickface or whatever his name is, and you like have the tea party with with, with her. Is that what you're talking about? Exactly. Okay. exactly. That's I, First, I want to say that mission is hard as hell if you're playing a sniper. <laughs> yes because it's just all those guys just rushing at you and they really don't most of them really just don't stop to shoot and you know side note I, I don't really want to interrupt what you're saying but side note i really don't like it when this game pulls me out of my preferred play style like when i cannot be the methodical assassin like it forces to me it forces me to be a high impact damage dealer and I mean, I've been able to get through those places, so I mean, I I don't necessarily want to call it terrible design, but it is, it it, it does yank me out of my preferred playstyle from from time to time. Does that happen with the Gunzerker at all? No, I mean the Gunzerker is really all purpose. There, there's never a period where uh, going in guns blazing is not an appropriate course of action. It's it's pretty much always applicable. Okay, okay. So um, continue continue with what you were saying. So you know, Tiny Tina. That's a that's a great bit of um, of just sort of black comedy. I mean, you you kind of see you know the, this guy killed her family, right? And and it, it, given her personality, she's kind of this valley girl slash gamer stereotypical gamer girl. I hate that phrase, but it. Uh, uh, I don't know. I don't. Well, she never plays games, so I don't necessarily think you can call her a gamer. It's just the the the, the, the attitude, the stereotypical ad. I don't know. I, I, th I think Valley Girl is an apt term. 
say Valley Girl, but kind of a 21st century Valley Girl and not an 80s Valley Girl. Let's let's say that. So a Valley Girl is what you're saying. Okay, sure. <laughs> so it never, you know, it, it wouldn't be appropriate for her to, you know, curl up in a corner and just lament the loss of her family. She handles it in a way that's very much in keeping with her attitude and, and her character. But there is... It's a really sad situation. It is very black and very dark. Um, very early on in the game, there's a set of audio logs that sort of introduce uh, Handsome Jack. And it's the audio logs of a character from the first game named Helena Pierce, mm, who yeah. is an NPC. And Helena Pierce basically gets shot point blank by Handsome Jack. And it's like, oh my god, Helena was, she was important in that first game. She really, she sort of sent you on the final path to the to the vault in the first game. Uh, and so it, it simultaneously is, is kind of jarring that they would do that to um, such a, just a, a nice character. Um, but it also characterizes Handsome Jack as just being a complete uh, and total uh, jerk, bad guy. Um Little character details like Mad Moxie, who was introduced in the DLC from the first one of the DLC packages from the first Borderlands. She runs a bar in Mm -hmm. Borderlands 2. Nearly every single character in Borderlands 2 has slept with Mad Moxie. Like you (laughs) walk up to NPCs and they will say, uh, by the way, have you seen Moxie? Tell her I said hi. Like virtually anybody that you walk up to will eventually have a line of dialogue about uh, how's Moxie doing? Has Moxie asked about me? And what's great about Moxie is she totally owns that. She's not just some sexualized, uh, um, uh, you know, emotionalist. You know, she's not a sex doll. She she owns her sexuality. She's like, yes, I like sex. I like having sex with men and women, and that's who I am. And there's just something there's something I, I dig about that that it's that it's just just a little a little twist on what you know another another developer might do with that you know that type of character. Now, as as far as Moxie goes, like, does she? Because she really hasn't done a whole lot at at the point of the game that I'm in. Because you can. I, she hasn't given me a quest yet. I mean, you can go to the bar and, you know, talk to her and she's just like, you know, standing there and not really doing anything. If you put a tip in her jar, she'll say something, you know, mildly amusing, but she hasn't done anything yet. Does that does that change in the later levels? Yeah, she she becomes a fairly important uh, quest giver. You will also find that she is related to certain other characters uh, and there's there's kind of a very very dysfunctional family unit, uh, but a very loving family unit. It's like how could these three people possibly be related, and yet they all love and look out for each other very much. It's it's a really sort of nice moment when you find out who is related to Mad Moxie. Um, also, Mad Moxie plays a huge role in the second DLC. Uh, Mad Moxie is pretty much the person guiding you through that whole expansion. So you, you, you'll get a lot of time with, with Mad Moxie. Um, I don't know if you noticed, there was an NPC, Sir Hammerlock, who's mm-hmm. one of the yeah. these you made. He has a throwaway line about his boyfriend. And it's just, it's some quest that he's describing, like he got some sort of gadget from, that was a gift from his boyfriend. And it, it was just like this this sort of random aside that had nothing to do with anything else. But it was like, oh, Sir Hammerlock's gay. 
and that's and and it's not being made a big deal out of it, it could have just as easily been his girlfriend but no it was his boyfriend and and i was like what game just has a casual reference to someone being gay and doesn't make a a thing out of it most games would just ignore it but i just thought it was interesting that in a game that that has like midgets as an enemy type uh, would just have just a casual, cool reference to a, a character being gay. And there's actually, in the DLC, there's another quest line where two men are in a relationship and they're having one of them cheated on the other, and it has nothing to do with their uh, with the fact that they're gay. It's just, it, it could be a man or a woman, and in this game it just happens to be a man and a man. I just love that Gearbox has, has put that in there, because most video games just ignore sexuality any kind or or what they could have done is like you know played it up and made it super super stereotypical and with i mean with the senses of with the sense of humor that you know pervades this game like you said with with the midgets and some of the dialogue it wouldn't have been it wouldn't have been terribly surprising if they had done that but i mean the fact that they didn't is 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 somewhat pleasantly surprising yeah exactly and and you know this is Gearbox. These are the guys who finished Duke Nukem Forever, which is one of the most misogynistic games there is. But Borderlands uh, isn't that. It's just not that way at all. The women in this game are just as strong as the men. And, and uh, you could argue that the across the two games, the female player characters are the most powerful, that they have the best, you know, the best skills. Um, you know, there's a there's a quest in this game. And I'm going to spoil it for people because it's it's hilarious and it will still be hilarious if I spoil it for you. The quest is called Shoot Me in the Face. And there's a character called Face McShooty. And all he wants <laughs> to do is shoot him in the face. So you quest, shoot him in the face, and then you turn in the quest immediately. And that's the whole quest. And you get uh, an achievement for that. And I think the achievement is called, well, that was easy. I mean, and... <laughs> That's hilarious. That's brilliant. Um, and then they're in the in the uh, I want to say it's the DLC. I think it's the first DLC. There was a quest objective. I posted this on Twitter called uh, Kill DJ Tanner. And DJ Tanner, of course, the, the Candace, the Roseanne character. character? Uh, no, Full House. Oh, OK. Full House. And DJ Tanner is uh, he's broadcasting propaganda or something. And, and the quest objective is kill kill dj wait so it's actually dj tanner like it's his voice no it's the uh it's a man in the game he's a disc jockey oh okay last name is tanner but when you see it on the screen kill dj tanner it's it's much funnier if it's not spoiled and you just see it on the screen so i apologize to the audience oh but uh it's going back to your your earlier point about sir hammerlock it's it's kind of i mean it sounds kind of like uh what mass effect 3 did with with steve with uh with the shuttle pilot that you could you could have a relationship with like it's really it's i mean he talks about his his uh you know his dead husband very casually and it's just it's something that's it, it's a romance story it's something that they did really really well and it's encouraging that you know games are it's starting to include those kind of storylines in, in a in a mature fashion in the, in that matter yeah totally i and i think that Mass Effect 3 is a place I would expect it more than in Borderlands. Borderlands just seems so unusual that it would be in there, but um, you're right. It's great to see it. It's great to see it. I'd forgotten about that moment. Thanks for mm. that 
and I, I have to say, um, perhaps the greatest bit of writing, and again, this is a slight spoiler for the end of the game. It's just one line of dialogue, but you get to the end of the game and uh, you do what you have to do at the end of the game. And then there's a little cutscene. There is an implication that there are going to be more adventures, more trouble down and the uh, one of the characters asks uh, Lilith, who is the siren from the first game, my character, basically says, Lilith, what are we going to do now? And Lilith turns to him and says, well, there ain't no rest for the wicked. And then you cut to black and credits. And that bump is the name of the song from the opening cutscene of Borderlands 1. Mm. It's one of the great opening cutscenes. If you've never seen it, watch it on YouTube. It'll get you totally jazzed and amped up. But there's a band called Cage the Elephant who wrote a song called Ain't No Rest for the Wicked, and that's the song that plays over that opening cutscene. And I love that song. I, it's such a great song. And that, that line, Ain't No Rest for the Wicked, is just it's the perfect line to describe Borderlands. And that song, it's just a, this dirty garage rock song. And to have her say it, have my character say that at the end of Borderlands 2 was just like, oh, yeah! <laughs> Tim, I, I just, I, I just want to say that I've had a huge grin on my face throughout this entire uh, past two minutes or so. Not that I didn't have a grin on my face before, but I think we have hit the core of what is Tim Spath. We have, we have scratched that surface on the, on the show. I think we've done that. <laughs> Good. I'm glad. I'm happy. I have no idea what you mean by that, but I appreciate you saying it. Well, it just it just seems like we've it's like you're gushing over this game and you love it so much. It just seems like we've touched something that is like Borderlands is like part of your essence, your aura. Like it's just something that is part of you as a person. It feels like we've tapped into that somehow. It is and and, and you know, to sum up the writing, I just I love that Borderlands 2 is almost like a loving homage to Borderlands. And because I love Borderlands so much, it just means so much to me. Excellent. Excellent. So, uh, so it, it, in essence, if Borderlands were a game, you would, you would marry it. I would do much more than marry. It. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, we have a good uh, 60 minutes of Borderlands discussion here. Not, not quite the six that I wanted. I'm, uh, I'm a little disappointed that we couldn't do six just so I could, see what it's like to upload a six-hour podcast but anyway uh i think it's about time for us to wrap up uh tim do you have anything any final thoughts that you'd like to add yeah i mean uh first of all richard thank you for having me and giving me an opportunity to talk about something that i cherish uh i wanted to mention that one of one of the hallmarks of Borderlands was that Gearbox supported that game for like a year and a half after it came out. Four really meaty uh, DLC packages and a lot of balancing, uh, rebalancing. They raised the level cap. And it's so great to see a developer support a game that long. It was kind of Valve-like in its, uh, in, the, in the the care and the, the um, sort of main gearbox had for borderlands and it looks like they're doing the same thing for borderlands 2 the dlc for borderlands 2 is outstanding 
It has some of the best writing. It has some of the best character work. The missions are interesting. The levels are completely new. They look totally different from anything else that you experienced in the main game. So if you want more Borderlands 2, if you're kind of on the fence as to whether you want to put down the money for the season pass, the first two packages out of the four that are planned are outstanding, and I recommend them wholeheartedly. If you love Borderlands, you won't be disappointed. Um, The second thing I want to say is on Gearbox's Twitter, and also Randy Pitchford's Twitter, they are releasing these things called Shift Codes. And Shift is Gearbox's, um, it's kind of like their Ubisoft's Uplay. It's sort of their built-in online service that sits on top of all the other online services that you have. These shift codes give you what's called a golden key. And Richard, did you ever use a gold? Yes, I got, um, I believe I got, because I had the Necromancer when I started. I don't remember if I bought a special edition or something, but I had the Necromancer class and I had um, a golden key when when I started the game. So the golden keys are basically that it unlocks a chest in Sanctuary and it's guaranteed rare loot for your level. And so if you're following uh, my hero, Randy Pitchford and Gearbox on Twitter, every couple days they release these codes and you just plug them in and you, you get a golden key and you get potentially some fantastic loot. And I think it's just another way, another you know indicative of how box is supporting this game and keeping it alive and keeping the community thriving and uh it's just it's tremendous and and i i'm hopeful that uh they support it just as long as they did borderlands uh one and and i have no doubt that we'll see borderlands three or border worlds or whatever it's going to be um so i feel like i'm shilling for gearbox here but i think it's worth it well you know uh, what other game has has done that has had uh, mountains and mountains of updates and supports, but you don't you don't express quite the same affection for it. And I think you know what game I'm talking about. Urban Champion for the NES. Of course, of course. You cut out a little bit there, and I didn't get the title of the game, but I'm just going to agree with you out of hand. Richard, before we close out tonight, when I invented Game Critics After Dark back in the early 21st century uh, in the sort of the series Bible for After Dark, I mandated that all hosts should enjoy a cocktail during the show. And I'd like to know if you are enjoying a cocktail. Uh, I am not. I'm actually, I, you know, I I actually had a fair bit of alcohol yesterday. Um, I went out, I consumed, uh, I, I don't even remember how much, but it was a quite a bit of, quite a few alcoholic beverages so today it was just you know just don't feel like drinking so i had my fill uh the previous evening so you don't care about the 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 series bible i wrote you don't care about tradition you don't care oh about... god of course not so i'm drinking tonight uh i've been sipping on this all show a minute made in beef eater <laughs> And uh, also, have you been smoking during the show? Uh, I cannot. I cannot smoke in my apartment. I have. Uh, I started smoking today just for the podcast, and I have been uh, smoking unfiltered Paul Mall Reds. Oh God! I remember. I remember the smell of those. 
laced with hash. And I'm just, I'm, act, I'm chewing on them like pretzels. And um, it's, it's how how far away from you are your children right now? Uh, they're two floors up. Okay. Well, at least they're two floors up. So. Yeah. Anyway, uh, After Dark is all about cutting loose. It's all about being yourself. It's all about letting your inhibitions run wild. And I hope that you keep that going in future installments. Well, thank you. Thank you, Tim. That's um. That 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 mean that means a lot, especially coming from coming from you, given your given your history as the 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 king of 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 all podcasting. Let me ask you one more question before we shut this down. Okay, is Borderlands Two on your top ten games? Uh, it was even before the show, and for one thing, I think you've talked me into going back and finishing it not that i didn't enjoy the game but i had i had moved on to to other games and i think you've talked me into uh, refocusing some time on it and two i think you may have topped uh, talked it a few spots up the ladder you know, wow. maybe quite a few spots up the ladder if you get my drift oh I'll, I'll be darned i'll be darned i i actually i have it right now at number three on my list and uh, for Borderlands two to be number three on my top 10 means this was a pretty darn good year for games. Um, XCOM right now is at number four and it's crawling up there. I sure love XCOM. If by the time I get to the end, it takes over, but Mm. yeah. So, and, and I wonder Richard, if we are going to have an opportunity to talk more about our games of the year and, and I don't want to say too much. Maybe we'll just leave it at that. But fun if if you and I and maybe some other people got together and talked about the best and worst of 2012. What would you say to that? I, I think that would be a fantastic experience. And uh, who knows? It might just happen. You know, with the two people that are speaking right now on this podcast. Well, we'll just have to wait and see. And we will. And with that, we are going to go ahead and close this show. Uh, thank you very much for listening. Uh, if you like this show, check out all of our other shows um, hosted by, you know, a lot of them hosted by Dylan Collins, the host of our uh, main podcast, and of course, the classic series hosted by Tim Space here. You can find those all on iTunes or on our website, GameCritics.com. If you like us or if you hate us, just go ahead and leave a comment there, you know, whatever, whatever floats your boat. Uh, you can also check us out on Twitter at GameCritics uh, for myself and Tim Spath. Good night. As soon as I got the Super Nintendo, I was just like, you know, I think I'm good. I think I've accomplished all I want to in in life at at, at ten. So, don't tell me you had your Super Nintendo at ten. I mean, I know the math works that way, but it just it hurts me. I had a Super Nintendo in college. College. Well, that's it, it, it's not my fault that you were born in the seventies. I'm, I'm I'm sorry about that, but uh, you know, there's nothing I can do. <clears throat> men playing super nintendo you were a kid 
I was a man playing Tecmo and other adult games. I was a uh, I was a strapping young lad playing Mega Man X and and Mega Man X two and uh, Mega Man X three and Super Mario RPG and you know, all, all 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 sorts of things. You know, all sorts of th- all sorts of things that make up a, a a child's history and 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 psyche when it comes to gaming. I remember going. There was a record shop in downtown Oxford, Ohio, where I went to college. And in the back of the record shop, it was called Looney T Birds. They had a video game section, and I bought three games there. I want to say it was my freshman year, and it was. Uh, 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 I, uh, Mortal Kombat, the original Mortal Kombat with the gray sweat blood. Uh, Mega Man X, and then Star Trek: The Next Generation. Some subtitle, mm. and uh, I didn't particularly care for any of those games but i remember them costing like 70 dollars which i put on a credit card and it took me like a year to pay back yeah i I, i'm pretty sure i saved up my allowance for almost a year to to buy Mega Man x yeah my college companions all said why are you spending that kind of money on video games when you could spend that money on alcohol or drugs or prostitutes or whatever it is you spend money on when you get to college. And I was like, I'm not, it's a credit card. I'm not going to give a credit card to a prostitute uh, and then <laughs> let you have the prostitute. It, it just didn't make sense. But I don't know. In retrospect, they kind of had a point. Yeah. Well, I mean, they do take credit cards now. Glad that you know that. That's good. It's good that you know that so definitively. Well, so you can process them through cell phones now. I mean, there's apps for that. 